You are listening to Seattle Growth Podcast, available free on iTunes. I think the most personal effect is thinking about how it, whether or not my kids can afford to live in this town. That's today's guest, former mayor Mike McGinn, sharing how Seattle's growth is affecting him. I'm Jeff Schulman, a marketing professor at the University of Washington's Foster School of Business, and this is the first of three new episodes of Seattle Growth Podcast coming out each of the next few weeks. These episodes give you insight into the topics from the first two seasons of Seattle Growth Podcast. From the first season, growth. Why is it happening? And what does it mean to the people, businesses, and city leaders of Seattle? And from the second season, the great arena debate. As two groups vie for the opportunity to invest half a billion dollars into our community, what will the location choice of Soto versus Seattle Center mean to you and life in this city? In this episode... I ask the questions, what did Mayor Mike McGinn do to set us up for the benefits and challenges associated with growth that the residents are currently experiencing? Also, what does he think of the arena discussion that is occurring almost five years after he worked out a memorandum of understanding with Chris Hansen's Soto Arena Group? Find out the answer to these questions and more in today's interview. But first, some context. The growth in Seattle is unprecedented. As Flynn Ferguson Corporate Real Estate's Parker Ferguson explains. We used to have boom times and a company uh, would come in and they might hire 20 people or 40 people or 50 people. And now Facebook rolls into town and they're hiring 3,000 people and Tableau expands and they're hiring thousands of people and Amazon thousands and thousands of people. So there's certainly the, the scale is much larger and uh, the velocity is Things are just happening a lot faster. Um, certainly, you look around and there are cranes everywhere. Why Seattle? And why now? The first season of Seattle Growth Podcast offered some perspectives on these questions. I spoke to people who moved here, such as Ty. The one reason I came up here, you know, they said they're eating, so I brought my fork. And such as former Sounders FC player Taylor Graham. Uh, well, I'm uh, I'm a transplant. There's a lot of transplants in Seattle, and so I, I mean I fell in love with the city when I was here on a playing capacity. Gosh, I, I mean I love the culture. I love the urban combined with the nature. I think the city is something very special. I also spoke with Brian Bonlander, who serves on Governor Jay Inslee's cabinet as director of the Washington State Department of Commerce. You look around, we're in this, we're on the 26th floor, uh, downtown Seattle, and you just see one of the most beautiful places on earth, right? And so it's a place where people want to be. Uh, there are unlimited, almost number of, of outdoor activities that one can engage in from ski to sea. It's uh, an incredibly diverse state geographically and the different types of uh, opportunities that uh, uh, that exist for tourism and, and for outdoor recreation. So so it has that going for it. It, it, it had the luck of having several uh, ultimately big companies uh, form here. And that, I think, uh, you know, Microsoft, Boeing, Amazon, and, and, and others, that's helped become a magnet for other companies. Well-known Seattle philanthropist Maggie Walker expressed her thoughts on whether Seattle's growth is avoidable. There are forces at work here. The place we are, it's natural beauty, it's a great place to live. It has great diversity, great food, great music, great people. People are going to a great, sort of a great climate. Um, <laughs> people want to come here and live, and I don't think we can change those, those variables. Tech investor and member of the Seattle Economic Development Commission, Chris DeVore, 
offered further insight. And we've had growth in Seattle largely because of Bill Gates and Paul Allen and Jeff Bezos and great entrepreneurs choosing to build companies here that were magnetic to talent. So instead, we weren't just providing jobs for locals. We were drawing leadership and talent in from around the world that said Seattle's an exciting place to be. I think that idea of a city as a, as a beacon of optimism and hope for not just for its own residents, but for people around the world is a necessary condition for a city to be vibrant and growing. And we just had great good luck in, in our entrepreneurials. And now to understand what happened nationally and in Seattle preceding this growth, join me as I sit down with former mayor, Mike McGinn. I am here at the campaign office for former mayor Mike McGinn. Uh, he served as Seattle's mayor from 2010 to the end of 2013. And in the intermediate time, he's been having a very successful and interesting podcast called You, Me, Us Now uh, with Mike McGinn on iTunes. Uh, check it out. Uh, Mike, thank you for joining me today. Thank you. I don't know if I'd call it very successful, but it's been a, it's been a lot of fun. I, it's been a podcast where I interview people who try to change things. I took a little hiatus, but then I just relaunched it with uh, Hannah Brooks Olson, and we've actually been taking a little bit of a behind-the-scenes look at, at what it's like to campaign. So if you're interested in politics and campaigns or activism generally, yeah, come find it. And you've got a podcast too, man. That's right, and that's why we're here, to talk about growth. Uh, so you have perhaps a, the most unique perspective on the questions that this podcast is trying to raise, which is how did we get here? And where do we go from, from here? Uh, and so we know that the growth isn't happening just in a vacuum, uh, that these last several years uh, is all the reason why we're growing. So I, I want to ask you, what did you do as mayor uh, during your time in 2010 to 2013 that has set us up for the rapid growth that we've seen in the last five years? You know, I almost feel like I've got to back up a little bit because I think, you know, people were saying for a long time that we're, that we're going to start seeing urban centers grow again. Um, you know, and, and we've seen a lot of books around it now, you know, The Great Inversion and, and books like that. And, you know, it was something actually before I was mayor, I was very active in my neighborhood association. I was very active in the Sierra Club. And I'd become a proponent of how do we make our cities better place, you know, create more housing in cities, walkable communities, connected by transit as a response to climate change. Um, and what we were seeing then was that that public demand for those type of place, places was rising. Um, the recession hit, and it was deep. It was hard. We had 9.5% unemployment here in the city of Seattle. There were no cranes. You know, literally, I think we were down to zero then. And, uh, but even so, if you looked at what was going on in the world, the suburbs, and particularly the far suburbs or the exurbs, often were taking the hit harder in terms of real estate values, and walkable places were holding their value more. So I, I, I'm saying this because I really want to say that we're operating within a much larger context. The other thing that we were seeing, and, and you know, for example, in Pioneer Square when I took office, we were working with the Pioneer Square Association, and a lot of people saying, well, Pioneer Square's dying. Uh, retail was moving out. Retail's changed. People buy online. People buy experiences. They don't necessarily buy stuff. So Elliott Bay Books, furniture stores, all sorts of folks were moving out of Pioneer Square. But the second floors of those buildings were filling up with tech companies, startups, because what these companies were finding was they needed to locate in urban areas to attract the employees they wanted. Um, and they, they couldn't do it um, like Federal Way couldn't, excuse me, Warehouser couldn't do it out in Federal Way anymore. They can get people to commute down I-5 even though it was an award-winning green campus, because it just wasn't in, in the right place. So warehousers now in Pioneer Square. 
So the, the talent pool that was in cities was now beginning to attract employers. And we were, of course, you know, with the unemployment we've had, we were very supportive of that in our term in office about how do we um, help, you know, make this. And our greatest selling point was place. So, yeah, we were focused on trying to bring folks in, also focused on trying to uh, expand transit. We had a new transit master plan, uh, build bike lanes. I know they're controversial, but the fact of the matter is you can move a lot of people with very little impact on the streets um, and very efficiently for short distances. Um, We worked on uh, making it easier uh, to build small apartments, um, didn't require minimum parking, you know, in, 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 apartments or units that were built on frequent transit. Uh, you know, there's just a host of things we were doing. And if you went back, you could look up my regulatory reform initiative and the Seattle Jobs Plan. There's a whole host of things we were doing. I don't want to focus just on the tech, but that's where we've seen the biggest growth. Our manufacturing sector was strong, remains strong, uh, maritime in particular. And we were actually adding jobs through the deep recession in, in the maritime sector. Tourism is strong. Um, you know, healthcare, healthcare research, global health, you know, Gates Foundation, PATH are well known, but we have a host of small nonprofits as well. So we're a place that's a very attractive place for a lot of reasons. Um, you know, arts and nightlife and culture is another place. And it just all came together and exploded once the economy started recovering. And so do you credit any one of your economic policies or policies towards business that helped let them take advantage of the place? Well, I, I think we were facilitating that, absolutely. But I think it was, you know, sometimes mayors want to take credit, just like presidents want to take credit for every, you know, new job report. But the fact of the matter is that all of those sectors I described, you know, there's lots of people in those sectors, working on those sectors. I think what we were doing was focusing on place and the attractiveness of the place. And that, you know, so, for example, the nightlife initiative. On one level, the nightlife initiative was about safety in our nightlife, in places where we have nightlife facilities, nightlife, uh, uh, you know, uh, venues. In another case, it was about, uh, you know, promoting the arts and culture of the city, you know, and, and interactions between the neighbors in those places. But at another really more fundamental level, it was about being the type of place that, uh, you know, that's what all the employees, they want to go out at night and be safe and have fun and have it be part of their community. So, so arts and culture and nightlife was a major economic development tool, and we were promoting that as well. So I, I think across the board we were doing the things to create the, the platform for growth, uh, but ultimately it's, you know, the, we're in a place where there's so many building blocks already. We were just trying to boost it along. And so now uh, growth has been record-breaking. Uh, we've got a lot of money and people moving in. What do you see as the biggest challenges that's been created by Seattle's rapid growth? Well, the single biggest challenge is housing. And and I think that what we did not do um, over the last few years was focus give that the same focus that we were giving on trying to climb out of the recession. And, you know, that means that, you know, we needed to be turning the dial on allowing the construction of housing and figuring out how to increase public housing as well. And we did that to some degree. The housing levy is larger. Um, But we're behind now. That's one thing. The other thing is is transit. And we were way behind on transit already in the city. One of the things I did during my term was uh, we put money into planning light rail to Ballard. 
And at first, the reaction from the region was, and, and other electeds, I was getting yelled at a little bit. Um, I was being accused of trying to go it alone. Uh, but what happened as a result of us doing that was we partnered with Sound Transit, um, accelerated the planning of light rail to Ballard, and then the regional response, I was on the Sound Transit board at the time, was not to try to stop us, but to speed up their planning across the board as well. And that ultimately led to a successful effort to get it on the ballot by 2016. So um, I, I tell the story, one, because I, I want to take some credit for pushing this to the <laughs> yeah. ballot early. That's one. But it's just another way to point out about how far behind we are. Because even with doing that, we're still looking at like the 2030s for completions of lines to Ballard and West Seattle. So um, with all that growth um, came a lot of new cars, too. And we have a lot more to do to reprioritize our streets to move people by transit. And, and again, King County Metro was expanding transit. Post-mayor, I and other activists encouraged Seattle to pass its own ballot measure. In fact, we submitted a plan to go get signatures, and the mayor and the council decided that they'd just do it themselves rather than watch that unfold, which was a smart move by them because we would have gotten the signatures. And so we've been expanding transit. But again, we're just behind the curve on transit. We're behind the curve on housing. And we have to pick up the pace. And if you can go back and undo or read or change one thing, so maybe one policy or one idea that you, you put in place or didn't put in place while you were mayor. Yeah, I, I, OK, so this is one. And I was a new mayor and and I didn't push back hard against, hard enough against the experts at SDOT. Um, that first hill streetcar line should have been in its own lane, should have been just running right down the center, totally separated from traffic so it wouldn't get sought in traffic. That was that was a mistake. And I will say that the connector between the two will be in its own lane. It'll be a lot faster. It'll be much more reliable. And we needed to do that. So that's something I wish I could take back. And then anything else that has a broader impact on the entire Seattle community that, that maybe had you known that Seattle would grow so fast in the years after your term that you would have done a little differently? Well, you know, um, some of these were, I wish I could have persuaded the council about the urgency of these things. We had a city council that was, you know, bound and determined to build more highways and was really pushing us to slow down on things like transit. And uh, I wish we could have gotten further on that as well. Um, We did make progress on housing, uh, but, you know, I didn't get to didn't get to hang around to keep pursuing that progress. So so that disappointed me. And so speaking of hanging around long enough to see it through, and now your 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 hat is in the ring uh, yes. to try to shape uh, Seattle's future as it continues to grow. Um, what benefit of growth do you hope to nurture? We we need to be capturing that wealth that's being created in this city because um, we were talking. You're an economics major. I'm an economics major. Although now you're a professor, and I'm, I'm just a lawyer, an activist, and former mayor, so I, I don't have your credentials. But, but as we look at this city, and and what I was just talking about earlier, the companies are coming here because it's an amazing place, and because talented people want to live in this place, and they're tapping into that. And the effect of that is we're we're forcing people out of town. The rising rents and home prices are pushing people out of town, as are you know, the ever-increasing regressive taxes. So this is a bad system, right? The benefits of the, the, you know, the benefits flow to the wealthy and the impacts of growth are paid for by those at the middle and the bottom. So I think it's perfectly fair now to look at how do we tax the big corporations that are doing so well in the city to pay for the impacts of growth and not be putting it on 
you know, are, are again, middle class and lower income folks. We can use those resources to uh, build more affordable housing, uh, to build more transit if that's our objective. You know, maybe it's municipal broadband is our objective. But there is a tremendous amount of wealth being created in this city. And I, I, I guess you, they're capturing value. They're now capturing, the big companies are capturing value that the people of the city created. Now, a decade ago, if you if I'd speaking about this, I would have said we want companies to locate in urban cores. We don't want them to locate far in the suburbs like Microsoft did. That's not good for traffic, pollution, climate, you know, land use, agriculture, etc. We want to land them. Um, now that's not the problem anymore. I mean, we've landed, you know, we've more than landed them. It's incredible the growth that's occurring here. Now let's capture that wealth that we created uh, by taxing big successful corporations or an income tax on the wealthy and use it in a, you know, in a fair way to, to support our, our neighborhoods, to support our people, support renters, support transit. And there are people who say that if you tax the corporations or tax uh, the wealthy, that they will move out to the suburbs and undermine what, what you're doing. How do you respond to those kinds of concerns? Again, they're not, they're not here because land is cheap or traffic is easy you know, or parking is easy. They're here because this is where their employees want to live. And um, as can be seen by the fact that you know, the prices of, of housing is just going through the roof. So, um, again, a decade ago or two decades ago, I would have been worried about that. What we were doing two decades ago, a decade ago, even today still, we're, we've been subsidizing suburban growth by building highways and, and, and all the other things we do, you know, of, of public infrastructure being built to support sprawl. Um, now it, the, the, the equation shifted now. Um, they can still do that. They're not. And again, warehousers, the great example, right? They're, they had to move out of federal way, out of an award-winning headquarters to come downtown because they couldn't get the people they wanted to run their business. So I, I, think, I think we have the opportunity here. How has growth affected you personally? So I, I understand as mayor, and you look back on those days, and now you want to help the people of Seattle as mayor going forward. But how have you personally been, been affected by the amount of money and people moving into the city? I don't... I think the most personal effect is thinking about how it, whether or not my kids can afford to live in this town. Is you know I have uh, three kids, twenty two, twenty, you know, seventeen, and it's not the type of place that I mean. So many of the people I met as mayor, as a candidate, you know, in my life here in Seattle, you know, they came to Seattle because it was a place that they could land and try something creative. You know, the whole grunge thing. People were just living in cheap houses up on Capitol Hill. You know, clubs were being opened in Belltown at a time when it was, you know, an abandoned place. You know, we don't have, we're not that place anymore. Uh, I think of immigrants and refugees who are all communities who are, and, and our historic black community, they're all being forced out of the city. So I think the biggest personal effect is, you know, the type of city we're in. And, and again, I think of my own kids in that regard as well. Um, you know, in terms of what I've been doing, I've, I'm still doing the same things I've been doing. So, uh, you know, I, I just uh, keep plugging along on, on working on the causes I believe in. And so we've got two great debates running on in Seattle right now. One is who will be the next mayor? And you're obviously heavily involved in that debate. <laughs> uh, and the other great debate is uh, where should five, roughly half a billion dollars be invested into our community, uh, whether it's a key arena remodel or a Soto arena. 
Um, what are your thoughts on this arena debate that continues almost five years after you reached an MOU with uh, the Soto Arena Group? Well, I think we should just push Soto Arena through to its conclusion. I mean, the street vacation um, should be voted on because it was part of the original deal. You know, the original deal was we're going to put an arena down in, in Soto. And the reason why that street vacation was voted against had nothing to do with the value of that street to freight. It's almost zero value. It, it began, it, it became, it, it turned into a big debate, this philosophical debate against manufacturing versus an arena. Um, but when you put push all the philosophy aside, you know, and values aside, uh, the fact is that the impacts of traffic of an, an arena in the evening when the port isn't even opening open on a road that doesn't even go through from anywhere to anywhere is is minuscule. So uh, let's just finish the Soto Street vacation. I, I think that it's great that we're looking at Key Arena, but there's such challenges with traffic and neighborhood impacts, one. And two, the deeper you look at their proposal from Oakview Group, they're asking for a fair bit of city revenue. They want to uh, they want to manage the parking garages, which generate about four million of income a year to the city. They want to capture various revenue streams to set up a maintenance fund to pay for maintenance on Key Arena. And when you start doing all the math um, of the, of the money that they're capturing, my thought is, huh, maybe we should just dedicate those revenues to a modest remodel of Key Arena. Right, because what we say about Key Arena is, or what I've heard said, is that there's 150 million dollars of long-term maintenance expenses out there. Well, that sounds like something we might be able to finance from the very same revenue streams that Oakview Group is trying to capture to finance their 500 million dollar arena. So we could have a, you know, an arena over in Soto, and we could have a complementary facility with, you know, with with appropriate upkeep rather than a total rebuild. And so when you were uh, negotiating the memorandum of understanding with with Chris Hansen's investment group, how were you thinking of Key Arena at that time? Were you worried about exactly, exactly like that? Here's what we knew, right? Yes, I'm sorry, I, I jumped ahead of you. Were no, go, we worried, take it from there. Right? Were we worried about the new arena making Soto uh, making Key Arena uncompetitive? Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> and in fact, if at the time people were talking about building an arena in Bellevue, which would have made Key Arena uncompetitive, or people were talking about building a new arena in Tukwila, which would have made Key Arena uncompetitive. So that was a challenge. And in fact, it's already kind of uncompetitive. Uh, you may have seen the number of big name acts that aren't coming to, to Key Arena. They go to different venues in the region. So that was already an issue. Um, what I look at Key Arena is that it, right now it's, it's Oper its revenues exceed its operating costs. So it's not costing the city money to keep it open. In fact, we're making a little bit of money every year off it. Um, I, think, I think its operating revenue was $10 million last year, and its operating costs were $9 million. So it's a positive cash flow for the city. Um, so there's not an emergency there. The, the challenge is that we know with any structure that at some point you're going to have to put in significant renovations just to maintain a building. That's just the way it works. You know, you have to upgrade your, you know, your HVAC. You have to, you know, replace the seats. You got to repaint the place. I don't know what it is, but 150 million is the number that's put on that. And so, the challenge then was how could you? And we wrote this into the agreement in the in the Soto MOU, was that we were going to do a study and we were going to examine how to make it complementary to to Soto. And I still think you can do that. And as I was just discussing, it looks, you know, if you took that million a year and started. Uh, bonding against that, took the parking revenue, 
down there, took the other revenue streams that are generated uh, by the key and started dedicating it to the long-term maintenance, hey, seems like we could have a plan in place to do a much more modest renovation and make it an attractive facility that, that isn't you know the big facility, but would be a more modest-sized facility. All right, so I'm going to venture into hypothetical. Let's say that you're elected mayor, and it seems like the council starts to proceed with Key Arena. What would I do? Yes. <laughs> what would I do? What happens then? Well, you know, it's like any process. I mean, what what happens then is what the, you know, the the city charter sets out a process by which the city makes policy, and uh, you know, and as I, uh, you know, and the way it works is at the end of the day you go through the process and the mayor you know completes the policy, so. I think what I would do is raise those same issues, you know, use the resources of, of the executive branch to, you know, get folks to understand what's going on. I mean, part of the thing that's really concerning me about this key arena process <clears throat> is there's a rush to get it done. And not only that, you now have, you know, the, the city council, you know, kind of in the negotiations, you know, to some degree with the mayor's office and OVG. There's no real public scrutiny. And how do we know that our finances in the city will be protected with this process? So I would say slow down, because all of the things I've just been raising about, you know, the revenue streams they're trying to capture or the traffic impacts, none of this is going to be resolved within the few months between now and uh, January 1 when we have a new mayor. Um, So that just gives me a lot of pause about what they're doing. So I hope they're smart enough to, like, say, no, whatever we develop, we have to put out for public review. It has to be finally, you know, closely vetted, just like Soto was, and then see if it can be improved. Um, if it's being passed just to burnish people's legacies or to get rid of a political problem that some of the council members have with the port or with Sonics fans, you know, come on, man, this is a 50-year investment we're making in the city. Do what's right for the city. Don't do it just because the politics of it push you to it. And now let's, we've played the Hindsight's 2020 game just a minute ago with growth. Uh, if you can go back and do anything differently with the memorandum of understanding or that process or what, what happened there, um, given that we're five years in, and there's still no arena, would you do anything differently? God, I wish we, uh, that whole, uh, you know, what went down with the NBA when they, re, you know, didn't, didn't give us a team. And that was a hard situation. You know, nobody, we all know what it felt like to have a team pulled away. Um, so as I, I look back on that, was there something we could have done differently there? I don't really know if I have an answer. Um, I thought the Soto Arena deal was a was a pretty big deal. If You know, we got that through the city council 7-2, went through the county council 9-0, worked hand-in-hand with uh, Dow Constantine and, and his staff on making sure it was right. Um, it was a good deal. It was a good deal for the city. Subsequently improved, by the way, by public outcry over various things. So, uh, yeah, I don't know what I would have done differently other than I wish we could have gotten that street vacation through before, uh, you know, Ed got elected. He never put his weight behind it, obviously. Um, And I think that the port port came back and used their political influence to, to kill it. And a lot of the politicians are, you know, when you put together the businesses at the port <clears throat> and the unions at the port, you know, that becomes something that can be really tough for the politicians to resist, um, even though the facts are that there's, you know, minimal impacts on the port. And, in fact, the port's getting literally hundreds of millions, if not billions, in transportation improvements around them. So if if one little arena is going to cause them that much trouble, then 
why are we spending billions on these transportation improvements? I thought that was supposed to make, you know, solve their problems. Any concluding thoughts? Oh, yeah, I I guess I should get on the stump here, right? Any concluding thoughts? Look, if you want somebody in office who uh, knows the job, knows the constituencies of, of the city, knows the politics of the city, um, but still has uh, never been captured by the interests, you know, I, I say what I believe. Uh, you know who I stand for. I'll never cut a deal with the powerful just for political expediency. I'll, I'll just always try to do what's right. So if you're... You're looking for somebody who knows knows City Hall but uh, was never co-opted by it. Uh, I'm your guy. Mr. McGinn, thank you very much for your time and perspective today. I appreciate it. Thank you. That is all for today's episode of Seattle Growth Podcast. Have a reaction to what was said on today's episode? I want to hear from you. Reach out to me on Twitter, at Prof Shulman. My interview with former Mayor Mike McGinn was actually arranged by one of the fantastic listeners of Seattle Growth Podcast. If you know someone with a unique perspective on growth or the arena debate, let me know. I appreciate all the listeners who share feedback, insights, and ideas. It has been great fun getting to know the incredible people of Seattle. And there are two new episodes to come in each of the next weeks. The focus of next week's episode is giving you insight into Seattle's city budget. You will hear from the director of the Seattle City Budget Office, Ben Noble, as he shares how rapid growth affects the budget process. We, um, we need to do a better job when we upzone an area to think about, okay, what's the infrastructure that's going to be needed? You'll also hear from University of Washington professor of public policy, Justin Marlowe, as he discusses how the city budget will be affected by the two arena proposals, the Soto Arena Group and the Oakview Group's Key Arena Remodel. OVG is asking, again, based on what they, what they have put forward so far, which is all subject to negotiation should they decide to go there, is essentially to to redirect or repurpose the vast majority of the revenues that would be collected at that facility. Then in two weeks, hear whether Seattle's growth suggests it can become a hockey town. You'll hear from members of Mayor Murray's key arena advisory panels. As a correction from the last episode of Seattle Growth Podcast, Todd Humphrey played professional hockey in the BHL, ECHL, and COHL and advised the mayor on the two original key arena proposals, Oakview Group and AEG. Let's continue to show our support for getting Key Arena done. Let's get let's give the NHL absolutely no reason to not be here from an arena standpoint. John Barr of NHL to Seattle is on the upcoming Key Arena advisory panel. Based on the current landscape, I think Key Arena is uh, in a really good position to see the light of day, and I'm. I don't really care where the arena goes. I think either location will work. There's some pros and cons on both sides. Um, But bottom line, uh, one arena is better than no arenas, and I think I'm going to support whatever will get us across the the finish line. Can Seattle become a hockey town? And if so, where will the games be played? And how will that affect you, whether you're a hockey fan or not? Stay subscribed to Seattle Growth Podcast and iTunes to find out. In the meantime... I am Jeff Shulman, and I thank you for joining me on this journey of Seattle Growth Podcast.